Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well this week. Now, you know what time it is. It is our interview episode of the week and I'm so excited to introduce you all to my really good friend, Nikki Robelero. She got her bachelor's degree, degrees, at UCSB, which we'll talk a little bit more about in the episode, alongside with me. And she's recently graduated with her master's from the University of San Diego, which she'll also be going more in depth with that. So before I just keep going with this intro, because I can make it 10 minutes long because I love people, we're going to go ahead and get started, mi gente. Hello, everybody. My name is Nikki Robledo. I use pronouns she, her, hers, and I'm a recent graduate of the Master of Arts in Higher Education Leadership at the University of San Diego. I identify as a Latina. I'm also an immigrant and daughter of immigrants, and I'm a first-generation college student, and I'm so excited to be here speaking with you all today. No, definitely. And trust me, mi gente, when I say she's so awesome, because even after we had graduated, it was like Instagram still kept us like, <laughs> that's how I kept up with her entire life. And I, I've, it's so funny, mi gente, because I actually also have her on my close friends list. So sometimes I'm like, dang, I wonder if she thinks like, who does, who does this girl think she is? She's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, she watches my stories, like close friends, not close friends. I'm like, does she like, like me? Am I that like awesome? Cause she's so awesome. <laughs> yes, of course. You're amazing. Oh my gosh. She's like, uh, just uplifting everything and everyone. So Nikki, I wanted to ask, can you go a little, taking two steps back, can you talk a little bit about your, your story, um, coming, being a, a daughter of immigrants, you yourself as an immigrant, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So my parents are from Mexico, and I was actually born in Mexico as well. Um, and at the age of five years old, I moved to California. And then I basically, you know, grew up in California. Um, and then for high school, um, after my freshman year of high school, I moved to San Antonio, Texas. So that's where I um, finished up my K through 12. And then I decided to come back to sunny California. And that's where I did my undergraduate degree at UC Santa Barbara, where I met Estrella. And I recently graduated again with my master's degree in higher education leadership. And I am now um, a higher education practitioner at UC San Diego, where I work with graduate students and their families who live on campus. And so it's really important for me, um, again, as a Latina and as a first generation college student to support um, the holistic well-being of college students um, and help them really thrive and take advantage of all the opportunities that they have on campus and off campus as well, connecting with the community um, and really finding their purpose as I did in, 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 sorry, in graduate school. No, of course. And let me just tell you, Mijen, that Nikki has always been a high achieving student. During her time at Santa Barbara, she graduated with her two degrees in global studies, communication, as well as with her minor in applied psych while still going on to grad school. And being a daughter of immigrants, and we talked a little bit about this before actually hitting record, you had seen a lot of hardworking examples based off of your parents. What more can you like tell me about that? Because we like, I felt like we got really deep into that. 
Yeah, my dad had his own business in real estate, um, but he really worked from the bottom all the way up. He worked at Domino's at one point before I was even born um, and then worked himself up to being a CEO of a real estate company. And so he was not around that much. And I knew he was working really hard selling homes and doing loans and mortgages and all that. Um, And then my mom took care of me, um, took me to all my (laughs) extracurricular activities. I did gymnastics and dancing and all of that stuff. Um, but she really made sure to, um, prioritize, you know, m- myself, <laughs> me and, um, raising me, um, and just being, you know, I think Hispanic mothers, you know, they care a lot about their, their children and their children's success. Um, and she really wanted me to know that, um, you know, I could rely on her and that I could also do whatever I wanted to. So again, she really put in that effort in um, whatever I was interested in, you know, they would make it happen. Um, if I was interested again, in a new dance class or um, another hobby, um, they would try to make it work and, you know, kind of allow me to explore my interests, which I'm super, super thankful for. Um, but again, they worked really hard. So I tried to be a high achiever from a young age and, and make them proud and make their sacrifices worth it. No, of course. And based on the sacrifices you saw and experienced yourself and the type of support you also received to be where you're at today, how would you like share the type of support you give the students or the individuals that you work with now? Yeah, so I think that in in my role um, as, you know, a program coordinator and an advisor to graduate students, some of whom are, you know, first gen students, um, students of color as well, right, um, not ignoring their intersectional identities. Um, I really tell them to, you know, create events because the, the majority of their role is to create programming um, that is well-rounded and holistic um, to make sure that they're building community in graduate housing. And so I tell them to explore their interests through that um, and also blend in what they're researching and what they're learning in their graduate programs into the programmings that they're cultivating um, and also encouraging them to reach out to campus partners or even, you know, faculty and, and to use their knowledge and expertise and trying to build them up and get that courage to make those connections because those benefit not only um, the community, but themselves as well in the future if, if they need a reference or um, just like want knowledge about something, um, they can reach out. No, of course. And it just shows that number one, it really, really like you are giving them all that they need and more because you even go out to the point to say, get to know your faculty. Because honestly, I don't remember learning anything about that until I went to office hours myself at um, the college I went to back in SoCal. And it was my professors that had told me, but I don't really remember hearing other students share with me, oh, you should go to faculty because it makes a huge difference because when you go and get to meet faculty, not only could they be like future letter of references, but they're also like they're experts in the area of study that you're interested in. Exactly. I think that's so important. And interestingly enough, I also didn't really use my faculty in the ways that I should have and gotten to know them. I think it's a lot different and more difficult to do so in such a large public university like UC Santa Barbara and that was a little bit intimidating and I didn't really know what to go to them for and you know I had my 
teacher assistants, um, they were a little bit less intimidating and, you know, um, I don't know, I think more relatable at times. Um, so in graduate school, that's when I really started to see the value in reaching out to them and getting that guidance and support. Um, and also it was a small, a way smaller university, a small, well, medium-sized private university, but my cohort was 25-ish people. Um, so it was a lot, a lot smaller of a, of a university. No, definitely. But I love how you even said it yourself that at smaller institutions, it can definitely feel a lot less intimidating, which is so important to bring up because like, well, number one, at least in my case, I'm very fortunate just based on like, you know, everything that I had gone through growing up. I was very fortunate enough to start a community college because being at that smaller institution for me at the time at that young age really helped me build that confidence I needed to even apply to schools such as SB. Um, where else did I apply? I applied to a bunch of schools, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's definitely all that. So I want to ask like for you, when you, what courage came in you to start applying to these big four years right after high school? I think for me, I didn't see myself staying in Texas. Um, I missed California a lot, and I do have some family here in Southern California. I have some tias, um, and I think I really missed it. And also just the vibe of a sunny college town. Um, I just fell in love with the campus, and it felt really welcoming to me. Um, and then with Isla Vista on the side as well, it just really felt like a place where I could build community. Um, so I think that's kind of what um, just made me look into the UCs as a whole. Also looked into UC Irvine, um, but then I also looked into the cost of living um, and different areas. And um, yeah, so I just kind of weighed that in my decision as well. But mostly where I felt um, like I could succeed and have a happy, happy um, for four years. No, definitely. And as we all know, applying to go to an you know, a bigger four-year institution, whether you're a freshman or transfer student, the application process, it, it's a little, it's a little time consuming. However, I want to ask you, how time consuming was it to apply to grad school? Well, <laughs> seeing as I only applied to one school, because I did a lot of research and I really figured out that um, the University of San Diego and the program that I applied to was the one for me. Um, and I was still exploring the career that I'm in now. Um, it didn't take me that long. It was mostly being prepared of asking for recommendations from my advisors in the on-campus jobs that I worked at. Um, that was the main thing that I had to plan for. Interestingly enough, and it was kind of a fortunate timing, um, I was applying for, for graduate school during the Thomas fire. And so that was really devastating on our community. And I had some, I had an advisor who lived in Ventura and their home was at risk of, you know, catching on fire. And I'm over here trying to get a letter of recommendation. So uh, that was kind of stressful, but obviously, you know, it was more important for, for them to preserve their home and, you know, not be stressed about my application. Um, but it was definitely, um, a learning curve of definitely ask ahead of time, you know, build those connections and the relationships where you feel comfortable enough to ask, you know, them for a favor um, of writing your letter of recommendation. But the essay itself, um, it wasn't that time consuming either. I would say um, just 
looking at it and thinking about it for a while. Don't feel like you need to sit down and do it all in one go. I would say really reflect on yourself. Look at those prompts, maybe brainstorm a little bit and then come back to it later. Um, thankfully, you can have a few months to to write those. Don't procrastinate too much, but um, it definitely helped to break it up and it felt a little bit less overwhelming doing a little bit at a time. No, definitely. And then I also wanted to ask, because you did so much research on this university because it was, it just called you and it obviously like it was worth it because look at you now. Um, So with all the research that you did, do you think that also played a factor into why when you were doing your your um, statement of purpose, it didn't take so long? I think so. I think being so focused on one thing, even though I was put, laying all my cards on one table, right? And just, you I know, did too. <laughs> just saying that, you know, if it's not for me, then, you know, we'll try again. I wasn't too worried about not getting in. It, it did feel at times, you know, like, what am I going to do if I don't get into graduate school? What is my plan? But, um, and it's difficult for me to not, you know, not know my future and not plan. I'm a huge planner. But in that moment, I had just to just focus on um, doing my best and, you know, leaving it up to the universe and um, hoping for the best. And can we talk a little bit about that? You said that you like to plant, which I totally get you. Like, you have no idea how much I get you on that. How has that type of, like, persona that's always been ingrained in you played a factor in your life right now during this pandemic? And how have you, like, you know, gone about it and whatnot? I think it's been very difficult because there's nothing to plan. Um, At first, it was easier because I was still in school. So I graduated in June. Um, So a couple, a few, well, not a couple months anymore since we're in December, Um, but very recently. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was still taking classes. And so I was doing that virtually. I still had deadlines. You know, I was still busy and I'm still planning. But now um, that I'm still just working full time, but no longer in school, um, it has been a little bit challenging to kind of let go of my planning tendencies and looking into the future um, because I do that a lot as well. And I start to get anxious and worry. Um, So that has been a challenge, I will say. Um, But just trying to be mindful and and practice that. Um, I have been going to therapy as well, thankfully, um, that is provided through uh, my job. So if you ever have access to, you know, free therapy, I definitely recommend you use it because um, it has been really eye-opening for me and very, very beneficial in helping me get through this pandemic, um, which seems everlasting. I know, Boo. I completely understand you. And with the type of practices the, that you do, do you ever do any type of journaling? Like, I'm very curious because believe it or not, like, I mean, I know you know this because I'm human, but I myself, there's days where I'm like, you know, so can you share a little bit about that? I used to, especially when I was younger, actually. I used to, I love to write. But then I started feeling kind of like a chore. And I used to evaluate, you know, myself on, you know, am I writing? I don't know. It was just weird. So I, I don't think journaling is for me, but I love um, a good coloring book. I will say <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm five, but I love it. Um, and I, I have a friend who gifted me one and I I use it all the time. Um, and 
and that as well as reading. Um, I try to read for leisure now, now that I, um, I'm no longer in school. So that's been good as well. And just finding a good show, um, lighting a candle. I have a puppy as well. So spending time with him and just playing with him. Um, so really practicing being in the moment and enjoying those little things has been helpful. That's awesome. And I'm just curious because like, Nikki, I feel like you could do it all. Like, like how I told you behind the scenes, have you ever thought of like blogging or like YouTube, like for reals, have you? And can you share a little bit about that? Fun fact, I may or may not have a YouTube channel from forever ago. <laughs> yeah, you can find some makeup tutorials if you dig really far in YouTube. Um, so I have, I have tried it. I think the only issue was that I lost my passion for it. And I did this in college. So it was kind of like a new thing. Um, and I even have the equipment to have a, a, I invested in a camera with my money and um, a mic <laughs> and everything. And I have thought about it. I just would want to explore the topics of like what, you know, what content do I want to put out there? What kind of, you know, if I'm an influencer, what kind of influence and impact do I want to have? Um, so maybe, maybe in the future, I can kind of explore that a little bit more once I kind of center myself and um, figure out what it is that I want to do um, in terms of content creation. No, definitely. And I love the fact that you're bringing this up because, well, one, now it's manifested. <laughs> like, yeah, and, you know what I mean? And you just told not just me, but our <laughs> first gen gente tuning in. <laughs> but also, what, what was I going to say? Oh, yes. Okay. So I... I have to told you this and I've also expressed to other listeners and had other interviewees that I have always been a first gen student that was always very tense, like high achieving, like um, very, very similar to you. Like, you know, always doing a lot, getting things done. However, you could always tell that, you know, I was always tense. Not, I don't want to say crazy, but you could tell I just had a million things on my mind. However, you yourself, who was also high achieving, you did it in a more calm, like it would just come off so calm and poised, but like you were so genuine, like you're still genuine, you know? So I think someone like yourself to be creating content is something so many first gen individuals can benefit from because then people like myself who are trying and have been trying to learn how to leave like that type of expect, not expectation, but that like where they feel that like working super hard in school and being tense about it shows that you're doing it right. Like, I know there's a word for it. I just can't think of it at the moment because I don't want to lose my train of thought because I'm just trying to motivate you to make content too, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast. I, I think you'd, I think you'd be really great at it. Like we, we need to see more representation of students like yourself, you know? much I really appreciate it and that means yeah. a lot coming from you <laughs> girl that's if me I told her like you said yes to me like you like this is another reason why I created this podcast not only to make the solo episodes that I do to resonate with me first gen gente pero también to bring on individuals like yourself individuals like well I know many of you have already met Valerie from our other episode for season two she, that she finished off or just Melba from Mujeres on the Rise a tech person just all these amazing Mujeres that went through the whether it was a grad school path or not but they can kind of share how their experiences work because there's always so many different types of students, you know? 
Definitely. I think that diversity and just like you mentioned, representation is so important. Um, and having, you know, diverse stories out there as well um, and different pieces of the narrative um, that kind of fit together um, in a puzzle. Um, I think that's so important. No, definitely. And speaking of representation, I want you to like really like kind of explain to us, maybe it was different for you, maybe it wasn't, but how different was it for you to change the work, the school workload that you had from undergrad to grad school? It wasn't that different. I actually, (laughs) I have heard this from other folks as well, that graduate programs can sometimes be a bit easier than undergraduate programs. Can you share? Yeah, I think it's because you come from four long years of consistently doing so much and also trying to have the college experience and getting involved and, you know, not wanting to miss out, right? The fear of missing out. Um, So I think that after living, you know, all those amazing four years, um, no shame in that. Um, But after, you know, that experience and also the practice that comes with doing all those essays and projects and papers, if you're not already burnt out, right, um, you might take a gap year or two, however long it takes you to come back. Um, Because I definitely considered it as well. I was so exhausted by the time I was, you know, done with my undergraduate career, but I just decided to keep on going. Um, But I think that you kind of loosen up those expectations of yourself. um, And you're a little, I was a little hard on myself at the beginning of my undergraduate degree. And I think in my master's program, I could, I kind of learned that it was okay to make mistakes. It was okay to learn from those mistakes and learn as I go, that I didn't need to know it all. Um, And I think that just came also coming from a very, I think, competitive undergraduate experience. I feel like at a large public school, it is very competitive, especially in the UC system. And so I even felt that like sometimes in my classes, um, I know some classes were curved and, you know, if you didn't get a certain grade, you would, you know, on a test, you would automatically get a B or something in the class. Um, I knew there were classes like that. So I think that the master's program really opened my eyes and it was a lot more practice, at least for my career, it was a lot more practitioner. Sorry, I can't say that word. Practitioner-based, where it was you were learning a lot and studying, yes, but it was more of the dialogue that I was having in classes and the relationships that I was building, and you know, self-reflection was also a really big piece, and um, knowing more about my own identity and how that impacted other people, the way that people perceive me, the students that work with me, how am I coming across, all of those things. So I think that's also why, um, in my opinion, it was a little bit easier because it was a lot more, I don't know, human interaction. Um, Yeah. No, definitely. And I appreciate you sharing all that, especially because I remember how can I say this? I remember when I was applying to like my first program, because as I've shared in the past, I was originally in another grad program, but due to a lot of family things that happened, I ended up dropping that program, but now I'm in a different program that I really enjoy as well. So very fortunate about that. That's why I get you, Nikki, where it's just like, I'm shooting my shot, just applying to one school. Cause that's mm-hmm. what I kind of did a lot. <laughs> well, not when I was going in a great place, you know, no, thanks, Boo. I really appreciate that, especially during a pandemic, I guess. I mean, I yeah. see more cows than people sometimes, but I'm not really <laughs> complaining. 
No, you know, so it's definitely all that. Now, um, but going back, I, you had mentioned, oh gosh, it left my mind. No, it did not leave my mind. Yes. Okay. The know-it-all. How, okay. It took me a while. And again, it all started for me when I first started as a grad student. How did, how were you able to remove that from you? You know, cause that's very hard because I've had to do that with myself in the past. The feelings of you love needing to know it, to know it all. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the, the that's feeling, okay. The feelings of needing to know it all. Yes. Um, I definitely kind of reflected on, you know, why I was there and that helped, you know, going back to my why, um, and really determining what I wanted out of it. And a lot of it was just to, you know, obviously to make relationships and have a great experience. Um, but also learning, I think that was a huge component of it. Um, and so I knew that, um, I couldn't do that. if I had a, a close bind or I, I sunk into my fear of, being thought of as, you know, the youngest one in the cohort and the least experienced and the one who had never had a full-time job. Um, so I had to let go of a lot of that. I, I dealt with a lot of um, imposter syndrome in my fall semester of my first year of graduate school. Um, I questioned whether or not I should be there. I questioned maybe I should have taken that gap year, worked a little bit, known what the real world was out there. Um, but I, I didn't, I just went right, right for it. And I learned a lot. No, definitely. And it's with imposter syndrome, it's definitely a challenge. And I remember my first semester of grad school, I'm not even kidding. Well, very similar to you, my courses, they've always been at night. So then I could work like, you know, my full-time big girl job hours. Cause you know, bills are kind of a thing and well, <laughs> undergrad's not that cheap either. So <laughs> you have to sh- well, you know where I'm coming from. You have to stress, strategize differently sometimes. But I remember the first time I went to my grad, like my grad class, it was going to be at seven o'clock. I got there a little early and I'm like sitting outside. And I remember I had my concha backpack. Like I had a pink backpack with like little conchas. That's never changed. And I'm, (laughs) and I'm literally sitting outside the door on the floor. And I just had like, what felt like an anxiety attack. And I started to cry. I was like, why am I here? Like, not because there was anything wrong with the program. I was so happy to be there. Like, I couldn't even believe I was accepted, but I started to cry because I was like, I don't belong here. Like I was just, so then after I finished crying, I went to Carl's junior cause we had one on campus and I like kind of like, you know, ate till I felt better, <laughs> which did not take that long. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. So I, I understand you very well. Now moving forward with imposter syndrome, has that followed you into your career now? And what can you share about that? It definitely has. I haven't stopped, you know, questioning whether or not I deserve to be in a certain role. Um, I think it just comes with the first gen experience and also being a new professional um, and just having your first full-time job and wondering if you're doing it right and wondering what other people are thinking about you and consistently evaluating your work. Um, I think that has been a challenge for me moving forward and um, coming up on a year actually of my first full-time role um, in January. But I think I, I, I definitely have gotten better at not questioning, not questioning myself as much. Um, But I think, you know, I think that will, be a part of my experience um, moving forward. Um, it's just learning to accept it and acknowledge it, but and not letting it 
take over completely and just working on reinforcing um, the affirmations in the positive things that um, you're doing and the impact that you're having on the people around you and the people that you're serving. No, of course. And I I have to ask you, Nikki. Okay. So you feel that I don't like, am I even qualified? Am I enough to be in this world? Okay, girl, you graduated with two degrees (laughs) and a minor. You got your master's. You literally beat all odds because you came to this, this country when you were five, like, I'm assuming you didn't know any English or barely. No, I didn't. Exactly. <laughs> so you had to hustle, boo, just like so many of our first-gen gente that beat the odds. And not only did you pass all your classes through your K-12 through education, you passed a lot of them when there was a, probably a good part where you didn't know English that well. So with all those accomplishments that you've done, why do you think that you sometimes still feel like I'm faking this role, if that makes sense? I think that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's it comes with being a minority on a predominantly white campus um, and a predominantly white field as well, um, which is rapidly changing, um, which is great. You know, we need more diversity and representation, but I think that's probably part of it. And also being a woman in the workplace is a huge part of my identity um, and just feeling like I know my worth and not being talked down and not being intimidated by, you know, you know, males and males in the workplace and other folks who have way more experience than I do. I think that's the main thing is that I, I, like I say that I I know things and obviously like having these degrees and everything, but sometimes it just doesn't, still doesn't feel like enough. And I know what you mean because I catch myself like everything you're saying, I relate to a hundred percent. And I know there's other hint of that do too. But the reason why I always bring I bring this up too is because for myself, and maybe it'll help you, or maybe you're already doing it. But when I start to feel imposter syndrome, whether it's at the role I'm in or the fact that I got into grad school again after dropping out, you know what I mean, at a different program. When I start to feel like that, I I think back to all the things that should have stopped me from being where I am now in higher education, if you know what I mean. And I don't know the right answer to like, why do I feel like an imposter if I've done this? I don't have the right answer. And because I don't have the right answer, I just think back to everything I've accomplished so far. And I know I will still go to. Have you ever caught yourself thinking like that? Or what what, what are your thoughts? I definitely, and fortunately, I have, you know, friends who surround me and friends like you, right, who um, help support me and kind of remind me of the things that I've done. Because sometimes I think too much about where I'm going that I don't think enough about where I'm at and what I've learned and what I've done. Um, So it kind of takes me a bit to recenter myself and be like, yeah, I, I did do that. And I need to validate myself. And I can't just be looking forward. I, I sometimes just need to enjoy the moment and validate myself um, and know my worth. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely part of, you know, growth and learning as a professional. And um, I think it, it will be a challenge moving forward, um, especially with the pandemic. Um, but I think, um you know, the, the only constant is change and, and welcoming that. 
No, of course. And I really love how you highlight the fact that you have like, so, well, since the beginning, you've mentioned your amazing parents that were like, we're going to make it happen, Nikki. And also the fact that you mentioned your friends. So I want to ask, and it's not off topic, but it goes with it. Having a good positive, like, you know, people supporting you is really good. Do you also feel like the media you're intaking, let's say off of Instagram or TikTok, because let's face it, we're in a virtual reality right now. Do you think that plays a big factor too in helping you eliminate your imposter syndrome or just like play a big factor in like how you feel overall as a person? I have, especially since the pandemic started, I have been spending more time on social media. Um, But I think a lot is happening in our world where, um, diversity is being, you know, celebrated and, um, you know, for example, body positivity is like a huge thing. And, um, it's really important for me to follow accounts that are inclusive and are putting out positive messaging as well as, you know, for mental health. Um, I found myself following some new accounts that are about affirmations and, you know, waking up in the morning with gratitude and um, your podcast, of course, and accounts like yours of other Latinas and first-generation college students and women of color and just so many diverse folks um, who are a representation of um, my community and myself um, and just seeing the amazing accomplishments that are happening um, and just uplifting one another consistently um, is definitely something that I needed and I didn't know I needed. Um, So I think that's something positive that definitely has come from the pandemic and the realization um, that I had to have um, when I reflected internally and was kind of missing that. Um, But of course, you know, I I have wonderful friends who I follow as well. And um, it's great to keep up with them in their lives and um, reinforce those relationships as well. No, of course. And I'm so glad that you felt this way, like, you know, and you're making sure you have accounts that bring you positive thoughts that bring a lot of good affirmations that you yourself can practice. Cause I definitely did that a lot because, all right. So I kind of had, how can I say this? So I'm pretty sure you've seen a lot of those quotes that talk about like, watch at the end of 2020, people are going to talk about how they were growing. Well, my growing process happened like, well, literally when my Theo passed because I had moved and whatnot. And ironically, it was five months before the pandemic even started, which is so crazy, you know? So then um, during that time, I literally was not on any social media. I had a couple of friends that literally thought I just vanished. And one of my SD friends, she actually like, she was so worried because I also changed my number and none of my friends at the time had it. Cause I was just like, you know, you had to shut down everything. She actually stalked me until she found my Venmo and saw that I paid someone something. She's like, oh, okay, she's alive. I'll just, <laughs> oh when she's ready, she's ready. And then that's when I made the cafecito account. And I only followed a couple people. You were definitely one of them before I was kept like going. But I knew once I started the account for the podcast, I was only going to be following individuals that not only uplifted me, like, you know, as friends and whatnot, but also accounts that I knew would feed you feel my soul especially with imposter syndrome especially with like sometimes like guiltiness that can fall on us as first generation daughters and all those things so and with having all that feeling I feel like it really definitely helps when I do when I demonstrate my actions as a podcast host or as a grad student or as you know whatever role I'm currently paying playing in
I agree. I think that's so important. And you brought, you know, a new perspective. I haven't thought about that for a while. And really, um, I think it's important, as you mentioned, to have acknowledgement of all the different roles that we play. We're not just one, right? We're not just our career. And I have had some thoughts very recently of just focusing on my career and my worth as an employee. But I know that my worth is, you know, so much more than the work that I put out from nine to five. Um, it's definitely more holistic and, you know, the people who surround me and my relationship with them and um, what I give to them and what they give to me. And I think it's so important um, to frame it that way. So thank you. No, of course. And well, whenever that happens, just like, cause that also helps me too. When I start to feel that imposter syndrome as a student or like the current career role I have too, I just think I'm like, okay, I'm part of my mom's world because, well, you know, there's four of us. My pig, Poinky, like I'm part of his world too. I say part because my mom also helps me take care of him since I'm up here for grad school. <laughs> so it's just things like that. What's your little dog's name? Bernie. Oh my gosh. Well, see, you're Bernie's whole world. So it's kind of like whenever you start to feel sad, just like if you're sad, Bernie will be sad. I don't think you want Bernie sad. Definitely not. He's, he's the sweetest thing. <laughs> no, definitely. And I'm I'm curious, do you, could you also kind of like recommend, like, like I'm being genuine because we're all going through a lot during this pandemic. What like positive accounts and like positive podcasts can you recommend? Like I, even I myself, I want to know. You could take out your phone. I have my phone right now, like looking, making sure that I'm hitting all points that I want to ask you because we talked about your grad life. We talked, we're still talking about the pandemic and our time at SB. So whatever you got to say, boo. I will shout out um, one podcast that I recently found. Um, it's called Gentler Practicing Self-Care uh, by Maya Fleming. And then I also follow Life Kit by NPR. That's so helpful. Such random things that, you know, that from your day-to-day life that you can just learn. And, you know, it goes from like therapy to like, how to, you know, build better playlists. I don't know. <laughs> um, giving thoughtful gifts, um, but also investment. Um, I definitely have been learning about investing. Yes. Um, I think I'm following Investing Latina and also Elvest on Instagram. Um, that's definitely something that I've been looking into, though. Um, it's like, how to be better with money. <laughs> No, yeah. And honestly, same. Like for reals. No, it's so funny because, well, she's she's going to be on the podcast eventually, but should I say the name? I'm not going to say the name yet, oh, okay. but she's going to be on season three. I'll tell you like once we're done with this episode, but she's a PhD student in psychology and it was so interesting because she actually made a video about like how to like, you know, like make some passive income as a grad student. And one of them was the fact that she does stocks with Robin hood and she's been doing them since she was like 20 or 21. And I was like, you know, I mean, I had also started my stocks like a year, like basically before the pandemic, but I never thought of stocks as a student. Well, now I do because when I was looking for stocks, well, we were in a pandemic. But just the fact that she thought of them so early on in our 20s, girl, in my 20s, like early 20s, because I'm 25, in my early 20s, I was just thinking like, okay, how can I make this $10 last me for the week? Because I spent it all on clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I agree. <laughs> I was definitely not thinking about my financial future, um, other than, you know, all the debt that I was going to acquire and need to pay off at some point. Um, and maybe, you know, buying a house and having that kind of real estate investment, because, you know, I grew up with real estate with my dad being involved in the business, um, but really don't know much about um, 
you know, how to invest in stocks and EFT and what does all of this mean? Um, but I think it's so important, especially, you know, as Latinas um, to look into that and increase, you know, our wealth, you know, our long-term well-being and, you know, having stability. No, of course. And I think it's really awesome that like you bring up the fact that like, because it's true, we weren't always good with our money, but like now we're wanting to learn and we're continuing to learn because it's it's a very important topic. And then I was also going to say, yeah, you know, sometimes student debt happens in undergrad, but you know, you got to sometimes view it this way when we're paying back that debt, whatever debt it may be. It's like, you kind of happily pay it because it gave you the experiences that you gained, you know? Can, I and I want, like, I don't know. Do you regret anything from SP? I don't think you do. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it made me who I am. And I wouldn't be here without that experience. So honestly, to me, it's priceless. And I've been trying to frame it as that and not the large and looming number I see. Um, and also I'm hopeful that there will be some reform in the future. And just, I, I am hopeful for future generations to be able to have greater access to education. So hopefully um, that can decrease that kind of fear of being in debt and going to a four-year because of how, how much it might cost or going to grad school if it's not a fully funded program. Um, but taking advantage of the scholarships is definitely important. But yeah, I've definitely tried to reframe it as um, it was worth, you know, it was worth it. Yeah, definitely. Because if you think about it, Boo, if like we were, if we were pursuing like a higher degree, we probably would have started our life earlier on, like what we're doing right now, saving money and all that stuff. We would have done that in our early 20s and then already have everything by like 28. Girl, life is so long yet so short. So it's like to have everything at 28, I don't know. You know, there's just too many years. So can you really be mad at the student debt with that? I mean, like, you know, the time you spend in college and instead of like working, what do you think? I, I definitely think that I have also been working on not trying to do everything before I'm 30 um, and relieving myself from that expectation of having it all figured out, having a, a house and you know, all my debt paid off. Um, because that just, that's overwhelming and it's not useful. And, you know, of course it's important to stay on track and have goals. I'm not going to get sidetracked from that, but not making it everything that I need to do in this moment. Um, and not letting it take the focus away from me enjoying myself and my money and my, you know, harder and yeah, that harder money. Um, so I think it's definitely been a learning curve um, but I've been trying to be more mindful about that. And you're definitely getting there. And don't worry, I'm sure we'll still get our houses. I mean, for season two, my professor and his wife, who's a dean of a college, so she was never my professor, but she was also a mentor. Um, she got her EDD at USC, and then he got his master's at UCR. They still eventually got their house, even after getting student debt. So it's like, you know, we just got to keep going. Yeah, and it's, it's also like bringing in reality and seeing people who we can aspire to to be essentially or or look up to, um, because yeah, not all not everybody gets instant wealth um, at you know twenty four or twenty five, um, and I think it's so important to enjoy the journey um, and just be grateful. I've definitely practiced a lot of gratitude and 
being present in the moment, enjoying the journey, um, and knowing that I am on track and having those affirmations of not being late and having my own timeline for things. Um, it's been really important to remember. No, definitely. And I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent. Cause same as you up until well, like last year, same thing. Like I would I'm like, I need to have everything before I'm 30. I'm going to get married and have my kids at the age I'm at now, which obviously didn't, that didn't happen because that also failed. (laughs) But I've already talked about that in the past. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm glad we're experiencing the feelings we are now because that's helping us grow and just appreciate life even more. Because again, life is so long, even though it's so short. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely, Nikki. Now, it looks like we're going to have to start um, closing off our episode. But before we do, is there any last things you'd like to share? Would you like to leave any contact information in case anyone has any questions about, well, one, the school you went to for grad school? Because never in a million years, I think there was a University of San Diego. And well, anything else, like maybe they want to ask you for some podcast recommendations or, you know? Definitely. So you can follow me on Instagram. My um, IG handle is Nikki Rob with two eyes. And I'm happy to chat if you, you know, want to learn more about how I did it, how, you know, I stayed resilient. Um, if you want to learn more about the UC system um, or just graduate school in general and undergraduate, let me know. <laughs> No, definitely. And oh my gosh, it was such a pleasure to have you, Nikki. And I appreciate the time you gave us. And uh, everyone, don't forget to subscribe and follow to this podcast on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcast. And we'll talk soon.